welcome to the Christchurch Winston-Salem podcast. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for listening. Please remain standing and pray with me. Almighty God, please send now your Holy Spirit upon the preacher of your word. Touch my mind and my lips. Kindle my heart with your love. Give me a message from your throne room this morning for your people. I pray in Jesus' name that each one of us here this morning who is here by divine appointment would receive the gift that you wanted to bring through your word to us today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. And now, Joe, my mic is about as hot as it's ever been. So, and I worry about that because, you know, um, my one main spiritual gift is the gift of loud. And so really the mic is just to record. So, um, I love this passage. I think probably it was a familiar passage to many of us this morning from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. And by the way, if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, it's right there. You can look it up, Luke 10, 40, uh, 38 through 42. Because this is one of those moments in the ministry of Jesus, in spite of, of the intervening centuries, we can still easily place ourselves in this, this setting. And we can almost, I mean, I see it unfolding in front of my eyes, in front of the eyes of my imagination. So as Martha is scurrying around, she's attending to the duties of preparing a meal uh, she's seeing to the comfort of her guests. She realizes that Mary, has, her sister, has not moved alongside to help her, to offer any help at all. And passing the doorway that leads to the common room, she sees Mary. This is my imagination. I'm not giving you architectural drawings, okay? But she, she sees Mary seated with the men at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. And she is listening in rapt attention as if she were a disciple just like the other male disciples. And Martha begins to seethe with the unseemliness of this and the added fact that once again, yet again, I'm stuck with all the work. She has so much to do. There are so many details to work out. But her baby sister, that's not in the text, but that's how I'm reading it. Her sister isn't even helping her. And as she passes the doorway again, her anger and frustration are intensified by her glimpse at, uh, of Mary at Jesus' feet. And she's thinking to herself about Jesus. Doesn't he know? Doesn't he know that her sister should be helping? Doesn't he know that a woman's place is not with the male disciples? And Martha's anger bubbles up as she begins to, and you can, this is what people do when they're mad, stomping around the kitchen, <laughs> stomping around the kitchen, banging down pots and pans, slamming cabinet doors and muttering to herself under her breath. And finally, she can't take it anymore. She storms into the room and she hovers over Jesus who is sitting there teaching and she's got her fist on her hips and she's doing that. I can't do it because I'm not female, but she does that, that thing, that angry woman move that, that women can do. And I don't think men's neck joints work that way. And she gives Jesus and Mary a piece of her mind. She addresses Jesus don't you care 
that my sister has left me to do all this work by myself while she sits, and here's the, uh, the literal translation, like a bump on a log. No, not really. That's my addition. Sitting here like a bump on a log. And the scripture vividly exposes, though, in this moment of confrontation between Martha and Jesus, the contrast between genuine discipleship and the distracted, distracted, frantic busyness that characterizes the lives of many Christians and the life of the church at large. We have, listen, okay, this is a critical to the understanding this text. We have believed the false narrative, the untrue story that religious activity, religious, act, religious activism is synonymous with being a Jesus follower. That Christian or that religious activism is synonymous with Christian discipleship. The scriptures clearly identify Martha's problem in verse 40. And we need to to hear this, by the way, because our own compromised discipleship is revealed in this verse. If you look at verse 40, uh, it says that Martha was distracted, distracted, with much serving. That the, the word there um, in Greek is it's a really very descriptive word, periaspato, periaspato. And that word literally means to be pulled in every direction. And Martha was pulled in every direction, like, I don't know, string cheese, <laughs> by her much serving. And Martha isn't rebuked, by the way, for Jesus for her serving. Martha is gently corrected by Jesus for being distracted. And like her, so many of us exist in a sense of breathless hurry. We are overwhelmed by stress. We're pulled in all directions. And yet we, we invite that dis- distraction and we invite that stress into our lives. And I've got to tell you something. Over the years, I've, I've come to this conclusion. For the enemy to have victory in our lives, for Satan to have victory in our lives, he doesn't necessarily have to lead us into gross sin. He can just distract us to hell. We can be distracted to the point of losing our souls. And sometimes we're the ones that invite that kind of distraction. I have something I need to get off my chest, and since you know I don't have Dr. Phil here, I'm just going to tell you but I think I've got nomophobia. And this is a real thing. That's a real word. It, is the, it means uh, the fear of not having your phone with you. The fear of not having your phone with you. And so, um, and I, I confess, you know, I'll put that thing down and I don't know where it is. And all of a sudden I get really, really anxious. What if somebody needs to contact me? What if there's a text coming in? Back before I got delivered from uh, Facebook and social media, what if somebody liked something? What if they liked it and I didn't get to see the like and I didn't get my little dopamine fix? Nomophobia. It's distraction. I, I, we, I don't know about you guys, but if I don't have anything to do like for five minutes, I'm going to just start checking the interwebs. Uh, you know, smart moans, uh, so smart moans, that's a good word. 
smartphones and social media have radically altered the way we live in the Western world. We have dramatically altered how we relate to other human beings, and it has not been for the better. Just a few years ago, Scientific America reported on a set of studies from the University of Essex in the UK that shows that smartphones hurt people's attempts at interpersonal connection just by being in the room. There's been follow-on studies that, that say that um, real human conversation, real human connection, real, uh, having a, a deep and meaningful interaction with someone starts between five and seven minutes into the conversation, okay? So it takes five to seven minutes to get past talking about rain or the lack thereof or the heat or what your dog did or what your kids did or whatever to get into the deeper part of the conversation where you really begin to have some intimacy with each other. And people have found through studies that when that at the five to seven minute mark of a conversation, that's when people will pull out their smartphone and begin to check their smartphone. Uh, and then when they do that, it resets the conversation back to the surface. Distraction destroys relationships and it destroys intimacy. And Martha's relationship with both Mary and Jesus is damaged not by a smartphone, but by her own distraction with her much serving. We are up to our ears in insistent and demanding technology. Not just that, our lives are so crammed with self-inflicted, self-inflicted activities and demands. You know, like padding your kid's resume so that they can get into the college where they can lose their faith in Jesus Christ. Think about how hard you're working on that and how much money you'll pay for that. Oh, that won't happen to my kid. It happens to two out of three kids who grow up in evangelical homes. We're pulled in every direction. Our unbridled restlessness cripples our ability to connect with anything transcendent at all. And the result is that the relationship for which I was made and you were made, the relationship which alone can ultimately sustain us, withers because of distraction. We can't hear the we small voice of the Spirit of God because we fill our lives with so much noise. And I am preaching to Ben Sharp this morning. We can't hear God's call because we crowd it out with false urgency, the false urgency of being in contact with everybody else. When God says, be still and know that I am God, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still and know that I am God. You know, Jesus continues to expose Martha's problem here in this passage. He tells her, you are worried, you are worried, you are anxious and troubled, you are anxious and upset about many things. Someone has said that trying to overcome anxiety, trying to overcome worry, is like wrestling with an octopus. As soon as one tentacle of anxiety is pulled away, we, qu we quickly get wrapped up in another care and another worry. But worry is spiritually destructive because it shifts the direction of our being away from Jesus Christ. And I had a, I, ha, I think I mentioned this um, a couple of weeks ago. I had a, uh, an experience just a few weeks ago that revealed the very, sh the very shallowness, the lack of my sanctification because um, 
of how I just got, I let something that really wasn't ultimately important just consume me with worry and upset. It was, uh, you know, I had trying to get out of Dallas and, and there, you know, that's a good thing. Getting out of Dallas is a good thing. That's a, a good and godly pursuit. Um, no, Dallas is fine. Love Dallas. Uh, but I, I got, had multiple flights canceled and I just got, I mean, you know, where you talk about turning your eyes away from Jesus, my eyes were, I, I mean, Jesus was not even a category of something I was thinking about. I was, I, I, I real, I think the Lord allowed that to happen to show me just, uh, just how much of the world still controls my heart. I couldn't get quiet. It suffocates our spirits when we allow anxiety to overcome us. And the only way to overcome anxiety is to sit with Jesus. That is the only way. You know how you, you, know how you can't overcome anxiety? It's by sitting there thinking, I, I need to stop worrying. I just need to stop worrying. The only way to overcome anxiety is to say, scoot over a little bit, Mary. Can I sit down next to you? Jesus says to Martha that she is also troubled by many things. Again, the Greek word that's translated is very, um, very, very visually uh, uh, suggestive. It, it means displaying one's upset emotional state in a loud and clamorous fashion. That's why I got the banging of the pots and pans and slamming the cabinet doors. She seeks to spread her resentment and anger to others. She wants to drag Jesus into her agitation. Don't you care? You see, a critical spirit, a negative and complaining attitude always seeks to infect others. So why is Martha so distracted and worried and upset? Well, part of this is probably just her personality. Y'all, we've got personalities. And you know what? Um, there is, uh, there is in, in God, you are a part of God's good creation. You are marred by human sin. I am marred by human sin. But there is still part of your personality that is exactly how God wanted you to be. So she's the older sister. And we know this because the scripture indicates that it was Martha's house. It didn't say it's Mary and Martha's house. It's Martha's house. She's the responsible one. She feels the weight of duty and responsibility very, very keenly. That's a personality trait. And also, culturally and traditionally, Martha was right. I mean, her household had the sacred duty of hospitality, of tending to the needs of her guests. Furthermore, according to what was expected of women in first century Judaism... Mary had absolutely no business sitting at the feet of Jesus. That was the posture of a disciple, and rabbis weren't supposed to let women be disciples. And yet here is Jesus welcoming Mary and teaching her as she sits at his feet. Martha confuses the internal self-imposed expectations and external cultural obligations she, she, she thinks those are what it really means to serve Jesus. On the service, she is serving Jesus as the host should, but in her heart, she is more concerned about meeting expectations than pleasing Christ. More concerned about meeting expectations 
than pleasing Christ. So brothers and sisters, our confusion about what is expected of us is... Okay, ready? If you are being driven, if you have anxiety and you have uh, troubles, you're troubled and anxious because of expectations... Our confusion about what is expected of us is clearly is 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 cleared up by just asking ourselves these two questions. All right. First of all, why am I doing this? And number two, who am I trying to please? Why am I doing this? And who am I trying to please? And now most of us can can tell ourselves a story that oh, I'm trying to please Jesus. But really what we're trying to do is to please, you know, mama or daddy's voice that's stuck in the back of our head. Another question, is this important or is it just urgent? Because we meet God in the quiet, not in the fuss and feverishness and anxiety. And that is why my garden is a place where I go to meet the Lord. It makes me slow down. That's why I've got to go out to the woods every week. And you know what? It only takes about 10 minutes, and God starts to speak to me. He was speaking already. I just couldn't hear him. Jesus' rebuke to Martha is so sweet, and it's so tender. We hear that tenderness in the way that he repeats her name, Martha, Martha. Now, if Jesus was from North Carolina instead of Palestine, he would have just said, Martha, Honey, sweetheart, yeah, precious, darling, bless your heart. <laughs> he calls her name to penetrate. He calls her name to penetrate her inner noise. The clanging mental cacophony generated by Martha's misplaced priorities and resulting anger. Martha, the trouble you have here is not with Mary. Darling, you are the one who is misled and negligent. Mary has chosen the best portion this moment has to offer, and it will not be snatched away from her. In spite of all of Martha's, Martha's busyness, she is not living as a disciple. The only place to gain proper perspective, the only place to begin the life of the disciple is with Mary at the feet of Jesus, feasting on his presence and feasting on his word. Our worth and our value do not come from productivity or from looking busy. Saw a bumper sticker years ago. It was kind of sacrilegious, but it was really, really funny. Jesus is coming soon. Look busy. And I think some Christians think that's in the Bible. But our worth and value don't come from our busyness, but from our relationship with the living God. That's the only source. And I have to be reminded of that over and over and over again. So... It comes back really to priorities. If the good news of Jesus Christ is true, if the gospel is true, then nothing else matters. And if it isn't true, then nothing else matters. And the ultimate response to the truth of the good news 
is not busyness. It is worship and adoration. The worship of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So church, here is the application. Worship is the business of God's church. Worship is the mission of God's church. When we are sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to Him, adoring Him, communing with Him, we are being missional. Worship is Christian activism. And the mistaken idea that church, that worshiping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit on the Lord's Day is optional and the church needs to be relevantly changing the world is killing the church. You're drawing, your, your cisterns are cracked and empty. There's no living water there. Oh my gosh, I sound like John Piper. <laughs> I didn't even mean to. Praise God. (laughs) What we think of as missions or mercy ministry, all that stuff, all of those are secondary to worship because worshiping God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, sitting at the feet of Jesus, communing with Him in His Word, feasting with Him at His table is the one action because it says so that in the Bible that the church will do for eternity. Missions, mercy ministry, all of those exist as a response to human fallenness. We don't do them to be relevant, but because people have not yet been brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because people's lives have been ravaged by the effects of human sin. That's why we do missions. That's why we do worship, uh, mercy ministry. They are not the ultimate pr- purpose of the church. So brothers and sisters, that's why we have the reading of Jesus's restatement of the law every service. Don't confuse the great commandment with the second greatest commandment. Because if you love your neighbor first or try to love your neighbor first and then love God, you will end up resentful and exhausted and not able to love either God or your neighbor. This is John Piper's quote. Missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because Worship doesn't. Worship is ultimate, not missions, because God is ultimate, not man. When this age is over and the countless millions of the redeemed fall on their faces before the throne of God, missions will be no more. It is a temporary necessity, but worship abides forever. So, brothers and sisters, if you elevate whatever service ministry you are doing above the worship of God, even though you feel relevant and useful, you're not acting as a disciple. It can be your vocation. It could be whatever you, it could be anything. It could be, and if it's church stuff, it really gets confusing. So if you reason that, that church for you is really doing children's ministry. That's really church. That's relevant. Or, or it's really the food pantry or whatever. And that you, you can never miss that. But boy, sitting at the feet of Jesus in adoration on the Lord say, well, I can miss that. That's, you know, that's not really church. That's kind of, that's bonus. If that's the way you think, you have missed the mark of discipleship. 
Discipleship begins with imitating Mary at the feet of Jesus. Sit with her and feast on His presence. Listen to His Word. Offer Him adoration. In this entire account, Mary never speaks. Mary listened. Like Mary, we cannot do, we cannot do until we sit still and hear the Word of God. We, until we have communed with Jesus, we cannot, we cannot move out to serve Him. If you haven't communed with Him at His feet, you have nothing to give a lost world. And somebody needs to just like write that on my forehead so I see it every time I go look in the mirror in the morning. You have to write it backwards. In fact, that's what should happen every time God's church gets together for worship because we cannot be doers of the word without taking the time to hear it first. We cannot offer our witness of Jesus Christ if we have not witnessed him by being in his presence. Martha's service would have been life-giving and blessed if it had begun with Mary's heart of being captivated by Jesus. Oh, God. Send your convicting and sweet reproving spirit just like you did with Martha and call our names and say, Benjamin, Benjamin. You are worried and distracted about many things, but only one thing is needful. Mary has chosen that good thing and it will not be taken away from her. Lord Jesus, take us captive by your presence again. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Christchurch, visit us at ChristchurchWS.org. Subscribe to our podcast at our website, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 